0: Drama on One
1: Sundays at 8pm rte.ie forward slash drama on one
2: drama on one and now on RTE Radio One Drama on One presents another chance to hear The Lad from Lally by Michael Harnett. Ruth McGill is Aggie, a Donegal draper's assistant, in a precarious wartime romance with an English Air Force officer stationed across the border during the emergency in the year of our Lord, 1942. We present The Lad from Lahey by Michael Harnett.
1: You know, every time I hear that, it all comes back, so it does. That tune. Aye, that tune. It all happened on a summer's night a long time ago. 1942. I was 22 at the time, single, unattached, though looking. All of us were looking. Can't blame a girl for that. Not that we were mad to get a husband, no. Though that in itself was no bad thing. And not any old fella, no. He'd want to be kind of good-looking. And that, of course, was the problem. There were plenty of fellas about, aye, plenty. But good-looking? What the hell is wrong with Patsy McGonagall? My brother Arthur would ask. Him? Aye. Are you right in the head? That fella? Arthur and Patsy had been great since school. Patsy used to help me father about the farm at harvest time, a kind of handyman of a sort. Sometimes I'd bring the food out to them in the field, soda fowls and tea. As soon as Patsy would see me at the gate, he'd down tools and a look would come across his face, a look like a collie dog. The tongue hanging out, that sort of look. I don't know whether it was the food or me.
3: Me granny had no doubts. Eat the bloody tires of a bread fan that Patsy McGonagall, I heard surely no word of a lie. There
1: was me. My brother Arthur, Gran and Daddy. My mother died when I was away and it was Gran who was left to rear us. She wasn't that bad really, except when she was riz. God, but she'd some temper. And the language? You wouldn't have heard the likes from drovers.
3: A way to feck with the lot of fish,
1: And we? We did what were bid. Thought nothing of it. My father used to cringe when he heard her. The he'd plead. And Gran would fix him with a stare and that would be the end of that. I had a wee job in a draper shop in Donegal Town. The pay wasn't anything to write home about but it meant I hadn't to take the boat and leave. I thought about leaving a lot especially when others would be home and them sporting all their finery. But as always it was Gran who had the answer.
3: Pay no heed, girl. Pay no heed. All feckin' glamour and no knickers, them ones. Aye, no knickers at all.
1: We used to read about the war in the Democrat. Sometimes there'd be photographs of young lads who died. Young lads from about... A few, not many, but always when Gran saw them, she'd pause.
3: And God help their poor mothers, God help them indeed.
1: And there was another way we knew about the war, the planes. Many's the night we'd hear them, loud as thunder they'd be, a droning in the sky as they headed out over Donegal Bay on their way out to the Atlantic, searching for Hitler's U-boats they were. We knew well about the U-boats. Many's the time we heard tell of stuff been washed ashore from ships that the U-boats sank. And some would have you believe that many of the U-boats landed. At least, that was what our
4: Arthur would say. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Them U-boats do land on Inverstrand. And the officers get off all dressed up in their uniforms. Nonsense. They do, I'm telling you. Dressed up for dinner they do be. Away or... Away Nothing. Marty Elliot was telling me. Marty Elliot? Ah, You couldn't believe daylight from that
1: fella. Saturday night was special in our house. It was the one night in the week that Arthur and me got out. Away to the dance in Bundoran we went. Me? I went with the girls, Teresa McFadden and Gertie McCrum. Wonder will Ronnie Philbin be there? Teresa would say. All innocent like, as if she couldn't have cared less. She'd a soft spot for Ronnie, always had. But poor Ronnie, by the time he'd be dancing, would be plastered. But that didn't stop our Teresa. And that used to drive Gertie mad. He's only after the one thing, she'd mock. And the truth was that she was right. Saturday was the one night in the week when you'd see everybody. They'd all be there, dressed to kill. It was like a fashion parade. Aye. Some fashion. Sure nobody had any money. Granny used to go mad when she'd see me getting ready.
3: Washing the hair again. Bald before you're 30 you'll be.
1: And me. I'd pay no heed. Just get on with boiling the kettle.
3: Use the water from the rain barrel. She'd roar. Don't be using the water from the well.
1: Don't be using the water from the well. Shampoo. Are you joking me? Carbolic soap. Life boy red, thick as a brick and just as hard. But it lathered up well, so it did. And then the makeup. Lipstick. God, and I remember that lipstick. Must have had the same colour for years. And the nylons. We'd no nylons. Not to be got. So some of the girls would draw a seam on their legs. I did it the once, but sure didn't the rain come down and I ended up with this blotchy stain all down the back of my legs. Bondora. For us, it was the center of the world. We'd get the bus from the diamond. God, the excitement. you think it was an excursion to America and the jostling for places on the bus. I'm not sitting there. Not beside that Egypt Maguire. I didn't care where I sat as long as it wasn't beside Patsy McGonagall. A shilling. One shilling. That's what it cost to get in. And the crowds. There must have been thousands there. They'd a band up from Sligo, not bad either. Played all the songs that we loved. Glenn Miller. Aye, Glenn Miller. And that song too over and over again that dance I'll tell you something like a hiring fair it was the women on one side the men on the other God when I think of it weren't we the right fools and as soon as the music began they were over not a word out of them just a grunt as they hauled you out on the floor anyone seen Ronnie? Therese would ask trying so hard to be casual. No, we'd answer. No, not a sign, whether we'd seen him or not. We were more interested in what was coming our way. For me, it was Patsy McGonagall. Every night was the same. Over he'd come with the tongue hanging out pleading with me to dance. Would you not give him a turn? Our Arthur would say. And me? I'd say nothing. Not a word. The night I'm talking about was just like any other, except what happened at the end. As soon as the National Anthem was played, we left. We couldn't be late for the bus. Miss it, and you'd be left to walk. We were going down by the bridge. It was Gertie that spotted them first. Five fellas standing there smoking, and as we passed by, one of them called out.
0: All right, girls.
1: And we, we just carried on. But instead of staying where they were, they followed, started to walk by our side. The one who called out kept talking.
0: What about a drink?
1: Now we knew well that there was no chance of a drink at that hour of the night. Besides, we'd not be seen dead in any bar. And where? Asked Gertie. Where had you in mind? In an accent which was all sort of posh.
0: Anywhere you like.
1: Anyway, the banter went on. And we, we just went on walking. And they... He kept walking, too, and one of them fell in by my side. He was nice, good-looking, not as loud as the others.
0: Been to the dance?
1: He asked, and I told him I was.
0: And where's your boyfriend?
1: Haven't got one at the minute. Will you be there next week? And I said yes, that I would. The journey back was always much quieter. Behind me was Patsy and Arthur.
4: Who was that you were talking to?
1: Said Patsy. And me, I never said a word. You mean you don't know? And we didn't. Surprised that yous girls not knowing. The rest of the journey was in silence. From the diamond we cycled home. I parted from the girls at the cross and carried on with Arthur. He had nothing to say, not a word. But he made up for it on Sunday... He was below in the shed, milking the cows, and I was out at the line. You know who those fellas were? He asked, as he drove the cows towards the paddock. No, I don't know.
4: You don't know?
1: Aye, isn't that what I'm after saying?
4: you uh, it want to watch who's you be talking to?
1: Is that right?
4: Yes, Aggie, it is right. Them was British airmen. And who told you that? Makes sense. Makes sense, so it does. When did you ever see fellas wearing overcoats in the summer? And what does that tell you? It tells me that they were wearing overcoats to hide their uniforms underneath.
1: And then, after prodding one of the cows with a stick, he raised it in my direction.
4: You'd want to steer well clear of that crowd, eh? Well clear.
1: The following Saturday, we went to Von again. I have to tell you that I was looking forward to it. There was something about that fella. I remembered his smile wide and his teeth all even and white. And those eyes like cows, brown and deep. Eyes that could tempt you to do something foolish. God, I wonder will Ronnie be there, said Teresa. And we, me and Gertie, said nothing just wondered to ourselves how anyone could have eyes for that idiot. Patsy McGonagall near pestered me that night. He hung around me like a flyover dung. If he asked me once, he asked me ten times. What about a mineral aggie?
4: Orange? Lemonade? Huh? What What about a turn on the floor? Have you a liking for a sandwich, eh? Egg and onion or corn and beef?
1: I was near giving up on the airman, Not a sign, not a glimmer. But then, out of nowhere, I saw him. No overcoat, no uniform. Just him. He came straight up to me when he saw me.
0: Sorry, sorry I'm late.
1: We danced. Glenn Miller, that tune... And I stayed with him for the evening until it was time to go home. I didn't kiss him that evening. I wanted to. I did. But I didn't. As we walked to the bus, he told me that, yes, he was a British airman, based in that place across the border called Castle Archdale. It was from there that the flying boats took off. The same ones that we used to hear flying over our place. What's it like?
0: <laughs> What's what like?
1: What's it like being up in the sky?
0: Uh, you mean in one of those planes?
1: Yes. What's it like? He paused for a minute before answering. It's, uh,
0: it's noisy, sometimes cold.
1: And the U boats? Have you seen them?
0: Yes, I've seen them. And? And what?
1: Did you sink any? He just looked away and said nothing. As the bus pulled away, he stood there with the others and waved. And as I waved back, I could hear from behind, plain as day, the taunts of Patsy.
4: "Fucking British! fucking British! They hope Hatler does for the lot of them.
1: Me old gran used to suffer something shocking from arthritis. Near cripple, the crate there was. Any the sun shone that summer, she'd sit out on the wicker chair. Ease the pain in my bones, she'd say. And as the sun moved around the house, she'd roar at me to move the chair on.
3: Aggie, Aggie, the chair, move the chair. Which way this time? Round by the rain barrel, she want me to catch me death in the shade. She was
1: also getting forgetful.
3: Oh, she could remember way back.
1: But ask her about yesterday.
3: Any sign of the messenger? And all of us would go looking. There's a wee article about St Anthony that they've had a mind to read. And me, pretending
1: to be smart, said under my breath... I thought St Anthony was the one that you prayed to when things went astray. Would you not have a word in his ear? Maybe he'd find it for you. But sometimes... She could be soft.
3: I worry sometimes about your father. Worry that maybe he's lonesome. He hardly ever goes out.
1: And what, Gran? Do you think he should have married again?
3: I don't know, child. It's hard to know. It's hard to know what's best.
1: And was there no one after Mammy?
3: Not as far as I know.
1: What was it then? Was it that he was too quiet in himself? I don't know, child. Who did he take after?
3: Not you, Gran. No, no, not me.
1: Then Grandad. She thought for a moment and looked away. Did he, Gran? Did he take after Grandad? She sighed, then looked up at an old wedding photo that used to hang near the dresser.
3: No, no. He didn't take after your grandfather.
1: For three weeks in a row I met Chris at the dance He didn't much fancy the dancing He seemed to prefer the old chat One night we were standing below at the bridge Waiting for the others to come out Then out of the blue we heard it The noise That droning sound in the sky We looked up and you could see it A massive flying boat in the sky I could see from his face that he was troubled. What's the matter? I said. You don't care for it, is that it? His face said it all. Then why did you join? He lit a cigarette, sucked in the smoke, picked a tiny piece of tobacco from his lip. He told me that it was expected of him. His father was a gamekeeper for some high and mighty lord, a man who in his day had been an airman. So when Chris decided to join up, the old boy insisted on the Air Force. Could you not leave it? I asked him.
0: You mean leave the Air Force?
1: Yes. Could you not leave?
0: I can never leave. Never. The fact is, Aggie, that my father would rather I be dead than leave. You can't believe that, surely? It's a fact, Aggie, a fact. He'd rather me come home in a coffin than leave.
1: One night as he was walking me to the bus, he had a question. He wondered, could he see me somewhere else? Where? I asked. Where?
0: What about a picnic? A picnic?
1: I'd never been on a picnic in my life. We didn't need to go on picnics. We'd got them every other day in the field. I couldn't for the life of me see what was so special about spreading some oil rug on the ground and eating brown cake in the open air. A picnic? I said. What class of picnic?
0: Then maybe a trip instead.
1: The following week, I persuaded Arthur to take me in the pony and trap to Donegal Town. I gave him some story about going to see someone else. He wasn't right pleased. I'd say he knew full well that something was going on, especially when he saw me dressed up in my clothes.
4: Do I know this person?
1: He asked, as he sat up beside me in the trap. And me, me trying hard to be cute, said nothing. But when he dropped me off at the station and saw Chris, the cat was out of the bag. He stared at me.
4: You mind the time you used to bring all those strays home, Aggie?
1: And the truth was that I did. Dogs, cats, even birds. I just
4: couldn't help myself. Strays, Aggie, strays. Them fellas are only like strays, so they are.
1: From Donegal Town, we took the train towards the coast. We were heading for Killie It had been years since I made that journey. The countryside looked well. The fields were dotted with the wee cocks of hay, and out of the scotch the grass was showing again. Down by Mount Charles and on to Duncan Lane, from there to Brookless and beyond. All the way along, Chris looked out of the sea. There was little chat out of him. He seemed in another world. At Killebeck's we got off. Out along the pier we walked, a few boats tied up on either side.
0: It's so peaceful.
1: Later we went into a tea house. We sat at a table near the window looking out. Chris didn't say a lot. He had a look about him like a young boy frightened look the way our Arthur used to look at Gran when he'd be caught stealing the threepenny bit from under the statue of the Child of Prague
0: can we do it again
1: he asked me I tried to explain that with the work going on at the farm it wasn't that easy we were saving the hay at the time and me, I was expected to bring the food to the field I've saved hay he said,
0: oh, you have I'm serious Aggie, I am I
1: looked up at him, I wanted him to kiss me, and he did, I'll never forget it, the touch of his lips, not just the softness, the way he was so gentle, but the way, the way he held me, I'd never felt like it before. The weather that week was glorious. The forecast had given rain, but it never fell. Some of the old boys had it that it was the warmest July since the turn of the century. And they must have been right, because the wicker chair was near dizzy from circling the house.
3: Aggie! Aggie! Move the chair. In a minute, Grant. Always a minute. Can't you see him feeding the hens? Catch me death in the shade, I will.
1: Aye, and that might be no bad thing. I sat with her one evening as the sun was fading away, her dozing, a young calf calling out, bees around the rhododendrons, the last call from the cock before being locked up for the night. Below in the hill road I could see Daddy, him and the mare, the horse pulling the dray. Drawn the cocks of hay to the yard. Feed for the winter. Then I heard a stir. The creaking sound of the wicker.
3: You wake, Grant. Sure, so how could I sleep with the pains?
1: Then, out of the blue, we heard it. That sound. A flying boat way off in the distance. We both looked up and there it was big and black against the blue in the sky. And we stayed watching until it faded away into the clouds. Then I asked her a question.
3: The last war, Gran, do you remember? Ah, child, I do. How could you ever forget the lake? Were there many killed? Millions. Millions. A terrible thing altogether. And some from around here as well. And did you know any? I did. I knew many. I mind a lad from Lahey who joined up, signed the papers to Nenna Skullin. Hardly 20 was at the time. Looking back now, she was only a child. Probably never drew a razor across his face. Child, innocent.
1: And what, Grant? What did they think then of lads joining up, joining the British army? Some of them were all for it, some were again. What would you say if I told you that I met an airman?
3: I'd say be careful, child. Careful. Soldiers are different. Soldiers move on. Don't let your feelings wander.
1: He wants to call by, Gran. He'd like to help with the hay. For a while she said nothing. Then after a wee while she spoke.
3: Well, you better talk to your father then.
1: There was a horrid commotion in the house when I landed the following evening. Gran was on fire with temper. And the language.
3: That brazen book Arthur has gone and set fire to the Democrat. Two weeks old. Did you ask a soul before you went it? Did ye? You? you did not. How is
4: it to know that there was some article on Lourdes? I'm not the bloody mind reader. You watch your fucking tongue. Look who's talking.
1: <laughs> and that's when I started to laugh. She laughed too. But it wasn't the end of the matter. Arthur was ordered to go over to Francie's house and rescue a copy of the paper. Later that evening, as we sat around the table for our tea, I turned to Daddy and asked him. A lad I met was wondering if we wanted some help with the hay. What lad? Just a lad.
4: Yeah, but what sort of lad? What differ does it make? He'll not want to be paid,
1: said my father. And me, I told him he wouldn't. I stood up to clear the dishes, and later, when I was throwing the water out the back, Arthur followed me. Are you fucking mad? But I held my tongue and said nothing. I let him go on with his rant. After first mass the following day, and after we had changed our clothes, I went outside to the garden. I would pretties to dig and peas to pick, all to be cooked that evening. As I walked back into the house, Arthur, my father, came out. That lad! Me father asked me. When he comes, I'll bring him up, I said. I stood leaning against the low stone wall beside the gate, looking down the hill, watching for him. I'd written the directions down. The weathermen had given rain... But it came to nothing, just the odd dark cloud that threatened. He arrived in a hackney car, a big black-coloured motor covered in dust from the hill road. I near collapsed when I saw him. You're not working on those. He had a suit on, the kind you'd see in the city, a double-breasted one with enormous lapels. I got him some old clothes of Arthur's. I took him up to the top field. I wanted him to kiss me again, but we couldn't. The hedges had been cut and God knows who'd see us. When we got to the gate, my father came over. He looked at Chris first and then at me. My face went red. I couldn't help myself. Then Daddy just nodded his head, gave a wee smile, and led Chris into the field. Around two in the day, I came back with the food. I stood at the gate for a while. I watched as Chris shook up the hay. Near smothered by the dust and hayseed he was, but he seemed well able for the work. He was out alongside Arthur. Then he stopped for a moment, lifted the can and took a drink of water. Then he went over and offered the can to Arthur. For a moment, nothing happened. Then Arthur stretched out his hand, took the can and raised the lip to his mouth. And as I was gathering the cups, we heard a voice from the gate. The voice of Patsy McGonagall.
4: You'll not be needing me today. I thought you said you'd help. I was, but you haven't you that other handy book. Well, used to hear that fellow say. Well, another pair of hands is always welcome, Patsy. hey, and you don't seem to mind where the hands do come from. Look, oh, Patsy, what ails you, lad? You's craid would take help from anyone, so yous would. Who's just dropped by, Patsy. Ay, dropped out of the sky more likely
1: than me. Instead of shutting up, spoke out. I should have held my tongue.
4: Ach, would you wise up, Patsy McGonagall? That's good coming from you. Talk to anyone except your own, you would. You and your notions. Too bloody
1: stuck-up, I'd say. Maybe it's fussy, I am. And then he was away, him and his bike tearing down the hill road, his tattered jacket blowing behind him like a blanket. It was close on seven when I heard the horse coming into the yard. Arthur led her to the stable, and Daddy led Chris to the rain barrel for to wash. I went outside with a towel. Well, how did you get on? Chris looked over at me father. Eh, hey, he did well, so he did. Said me father, as he walked away to the house. I wanted him to have something to eat before he left, but he wouldn't.
0: I have to go, Aggie, I have.
1: But you have to eat.
0: I'll get something later.
1: It was that Patsy fellow, wasn't it? I walked down part of the hill road with him.
0: I shouldn't have come, Maggie. Of
1: course you should have come, I said, even though I had my doubts. And then I watched as he made his way down to the cross, stayed looking long after he fell out of view. Then I headed back to the house.
3: And I never met him.
1: Aye, Graham, but maybe there'll be other times. Then Arthur, lifting his head from his plate, looked over.
4: Is it looking for trouble here?
3: What sort of trouble?
4: Did she not tell you what he was? She did indeed. I thought a woman at
3: your age would have remembered what the British done around here. And how in God's name will you know what they did? I'll tell you one thing, there's many of her own, far worse, far worse indeed, so Well, I'll tell you this, he's not welcome about here. And then
1: the strangest thing happened. My father put his knife and fork down. He looked over at Arthur. And who
4: says that the lad isn't welcome here? Did you not hear Patsy McGonagall? Patsy McGonagall, the critter, Aye, and you can laugh, but I'll tell you this. Patsy knows what he does be talking
3: about. Patsy McGonagall. My God, Patsy McGonagall. A clever book is Patsy. Ah, clever. Never passed an exam in his life. Only thing he ever passed in school was his water.
1: I kept myself to myself. And when Saturday came, I met the girls and we headed away to the dance. There was the usual big crowd there that night. I stood near the cloakroom for an age. It wasn't like Chris to be late. Several times I noticed Patsy, him with a kind of leering look on his gob. He seemed to be watching me, hiding behind a pillar looking towards me. Then Arthur came over.
4: Paggy, okay. is he coming tonight?
1: Didn't know you were that interested.
4: Aggie, for God's sake, he'd be better off staying away. Says who? I'm telling you, Aggie.
1: Telling you for your own good. Aye, and when did you start concerning yourself with me? Arthur shook his head and walked away, headed in Patsy's direction. And then I saw him. But as I looked over at him coming towards me, another fear came into my mind. It was something I hadn't expected. It was a fear of the way I had been feeling. How my mind was near tormented by the worry that anything had happened to me. It wasn't just normal worry. It was more. It was the way you'd worry about someone close. A father. A brother. A lover. Since I'd met him, I knew that it could come to nothing. How could it? He, a pilot and British, me, a Draper's assistant from Donegal. But I went along with it all. I liked him. He was different. He wasn't like others I'd known. Something's wrong, I said. And he nodded. He walked to the back of the hall where there was less of a din and fewer people about. Remember Ken? And I did. He was the one that was full of blather the night we met near the bridge
0: ken he didn't come back
1: didn't come back where
0: to the base that plane never made it back
1: it was only then i noticed his clothes like that first night he had the overcoat on my god i said to myself he must have the uniform on underneath so what do you want to do now he told me that the only reason he had come that night was to see me and explain he had no humor for dancing He'd hired a hackney car in Petago, and the car was waiting outside. You want to go back? He nodded. I'll walk you to the car. But first I need to get my coat.
0: I'll go on,
1: he said, as I headed for the cloakroom. There was no sign of him when I came outside to the street. It was pitch dark by then and the few lamps that were lit hardly let out a glimmer of light. After waiting for a few minutes, I walked down towards the bus. And that's when I heard the commotion. Down a laneway it was, a few wild bucks creating trouble. And then I heard the voice of McGonagall, cursing and swearing he was. I looked down the lane and could see them. Three maybe four and one of them pinned to the wall and then I hear that accent Jesus it's Chris a way to fake the lot of you. I roared at them and the brave McGonagall near shit himself you stay out of the saggy
4: you hear let him be hey and what are you gonna do if we don't huh call the guards I'm sure they'd like to get their hands on a spy.
1: It was the grace of God that I knew the others. James Harkin, when your father hears what a brave wee cop he has for a young fella, he'll not be so impressed, so he won't. Four of yous again, one. Brave books indeed, so you are. Way to fake the lot of yous. And despite the protests of Patsy, they did. They snuck away in the shadows of the laneway, leaving McGonagall behind. And you! Ye miserable crater just as miserable and sly as your old fella, aye, just the same as you are, aye, black cat, black kitten. And then Arthur appeared. I knew it was him for I so saw his face light up with a match he'd struck to light a fag for Ronnie Philbin. He looked at Chris first, then Patsy, then he turned to me. Fix it, Aggie. Don't say I didn't warn you. Then Patsy came closer. He looked at Arthur.
3: And where were you?
4: Where the hell were you? Just like your sister, so you are. No time for your own. Patsy, what have you done? Done? Done what you should have done, if you had the guts.
1: Chris was in some state. Blood all over his clothes. You can't go back like that, I said. And before I knew it, We were inside in the hackney car and heading away towards our place. It was mad, I know that, but I couldn't think of anywhere else to take him. We didn't talk on the journey, and the driver paid us no heed at all. When we got near the top of the hill, I told the driver to let us out and call back in an hour. Then we carried on till we came to the house. We stood in the shadow of the gable end of the shed until the sound of the car was near gone. Then into the shed we stumbled. I sat him down in a butter box and looked more closely at his face. The bleeding seemed to have stopped, but the crusts of blood were everywhere. I left him there while I went inside to the house. I needed to find something to clean him. The door was unlocked and I pushed it in. And that's when I heard her.
3: Some style,
1: that. Arriving home in a car. Gran, what are you doing up at this sir? I knew she was watching as I went in search of a cloth.
3: Back early, not like you. Leave the dance early. And a car. <laughs> what took you home in that?
1: I found a scrap of muslin by the dresser. All I needed then was some water. Above the dying embers of the fire, the kettle was hanging from the crane... I looked around for a pot or a basin, and as my eyes roamed, I caught her looking over. What's the matter, child? Her tone was softer than normal. So I told her the truth, every bit, never embroidered a word. And to be fair to the woman, she listened. Then when I was done, she spoke.
3: I I mind the time you used to bring those strays home. I, I remember that time well. God knows there wasn't a week went by, but some critter wasn't brung home to this place. Birds, kittens, God knows what. But don't, for God's sake, Aggie, be taking on more to care for, no matter how you feel. Don't spoil your life with false hope. You're far too young for that. Letting go's hard, darling, I know. Leave me, I know.
1: She watched me leave and stood at the door as I made my way to the shed. I lit the owl lamp and the soft yellow glow gave the place a feeling of warmth. Slowly, carefully, I wiped away the dried blood from his face. Once or twice he winced when the hot water touched the raw skin. How you do now?
0: Ah, uh, So...
1: Chris, you can't stay here.
0: Because of your family?
1: No. Not because of my family. Then why? Because if you stay here and the like of Patsy finds out, then God knows what'll happen.
0: So you let them win?
1: No. But that crowd never win. They're losers.
0: And what about the dancers?
1: I don't think it's a good idea.
0: Are you serious?
1: Aye. Aye. I am. I tried to explain to him how I'd earlier felt, not just in the dance hall, but after when I'd seen him in the lane. I tried to tell him how those feelings near scared the life out of me.
0: Those feelings can be good.
1: Aye, if there's a future. We're from two different worlds.
0: And what's wrong with that?
1: For God's sake, man, are you right in the head? What happens if this whole thing becomes more serious? What happens then? Tell me, what happens then?
0: We could deal with that.
1: How? How?
0: I could leave the Air Force.
1: And what about your father? Your family?
0: I could live with that.
1: Think what you're saying, Chris. Think about it. You running from the war and me running from wagon tongues. I'm not sure which is the worst. And what would happen then? What would happen in years to come? I'll tell you what would happen. You'd spend your life regretting what you did. Letting down yourself, letting down your family. And then you'd think of your friends who never came back. Those that lost their lives while you ran away. And then... What would happen? I'll tell you, Chris. I'll tell you. Then you'd start to hit yourself, I hit. And it wouldn't be long after till the hit turned to me.
0: That's not true, Aggie.
1: It's true, all right. And deep down, you know it. Look, Chris, I've really liked our time together, but. But what? It's hard, but it's best for everyone if you don't come back to these parts.
0: You mean, never?
1: I'd never felt like that before. Wanting him to go, not wanting him to go. Wanting him to stay, but knowing that he couldn't. Aggie. Aggie. Please, Chris, please. Maybe the whole thing's just been a distraction.
0: A distraction.
1: Something to take your mind off the war.
0: Not true, Aggie. Not true.
1: True or not, it hardly matters now. (laughs) Mikhail's hackney car took him down the stony hill road towards the town and from there on to Pettico. And from Pettico, he'd walk across the border back into the north. I stood and watched as the lights of the car cut into the darkness, and I stayed watching till all you could see was a blur, like a candle way off in the distance.
3: Then I went back to the house. So, he's gone, child? Aye, Grant. He's gone. I mind a time, ah, a long time ago, when I said goodbye to a lad from La. <laughs> he was for France. Oh, he was hey, going to fight in the war.
1: Aye, I remember you telling me before
3: But I never told you we were sweethearts.
1: And what happened, Gran? Did he come back?
3: He went missing somewhere beyond over there. Everyone thought he was gone, lost in the mud or something. That even a wee article in the Democrat with a picture of him in uniform. Aye, a picture and all. And then, years later, when it was all over, he came back, taken prisoner he was. And when the war ended, he was freed. Did you see him again? By that time, I was married to your grandfather.
1: And did you? Did you see him? She turned her head slowly and
3: looked over at me. I, I saw him, I did. And what was he like? What was he like? He hadn't changed much. Oh, he was older, maybe wiser, but deep down he hadn't changed he still had that look. What sort of look? You and your questions.
1: One grand, what sort of look?
3: Oh he was kindly, handsome too. He had gentle ways, I gentle ways. Like Daddy? Aye, a bit like your father.
1: She stayed up for a brave wee while that night. She didn't have a lot more to say. The whole thing was a vigil of sorts, like a wake. And I suppose it was a kind of wake when you think on it. And later, I thought about it a lot. Night after night, I'd lie awake above in the room listening to that sound. That heavy, droning sound in the sky... And every time I heard it, I'd wondered to myself, was it him? Was that his plane flying out over the Atlantic? It took me a long while to get over that night. My mind was tormented by it all. But as time passed by, the hold that memory has on you slackens. The pain eases. The picture fades. But there's one thing that brings it all back, aye. One thing. And as you listen to that sound, you wonder. You wonder to yourself, did he make it? Did he live? And if he did, what happened? Did he marry, have weigh Did he tell them about the war? Did he tell them about anyone he met? Then, as the music fades, your mind returns to reality. I mind a time years ago when me old granny told me about a lad she met from Lai. I'm not sure I was told the full story. Maybe I was better not known.
2: You've been listening to Michael Harnett's midsummer drama The Lad from Lahey, with Ruth McGill as Aggie and Rosaline Linehan as the grandmother. Sam McGovern as Chris, the English Air Force officer and Joe Taylor in multiple roles. Sound Supervision was by Mark McGrath and the play was produced by Aidan Matthews. rtaie
4: drama on one.